Here's Pastor Ed with a brief preview of today's edition of Voice of Faith. Is he Lord just in theory? Or is he Lord in practice? When we say, Thine is the kingdom, we're saying, God, it's all yours. When we pray the Lord's Prayer and we conclude with that doxology, for thine is the kingdom, we're saying, oh Lord, everything I have, everything I am, I lay at your feet. It is yours. In today's message, Pastor Ed addresses the power that is ours to access when we become believers. God's power is everlasting. It has and will continue to withstand every test that could ever be thrown at it. God will be victorious no matter what. We have the unique ability to utilize that power when we too face challenges in our time here on earth. We can also be assured that God will be there fighting beside us and supporting our every movement with His glorious power. Let's join Pastor Ed in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2 verse 1 with part 1 of his message entitled Doxology. This will be the final message in the series on the Lord's Prayer. It's my hope and desire that you'll take this model, this pattern for prayer and use it in your prayer life. That you'll come before God and contemplate that He so desires to have a relationship with you that He adopted you. And He said, you're my son. Please call me Daddy. You'll take this prayer And as you come before the throne room of grace, you'll be overwhelmed with the holiness of God and you'll say, Lord, may your name be hallowed in all the earth and may I reverence your name. Lord, may men treat you as holy for you truly are. Lord, may we represent you properly and not misuse that wonderful name of Jesus. You'll come into the throne room of grace, and there in the throne room of grace, your vision will be of a kingdom coming to this world, the kingdom of God, where he reigns forever and ever as king of kings and lord of lords. And in your mind's eye, you'll see the kings of this earth place their throne before the true king of kings. And you'll say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And as you're praying through the prayer, you'll say, thy will be done. Oh, Lord, not my will, not the will of men, not the will of institutions, but the will of your your will, Father. May it be done. And Lord, may it be done on earth as it is in heaven, as the angels completely, perfectly, fully do your will. May we do your will in that way. God, do your will in my marriage. God, do your will in my home. God, do your will in the church. May your will be done here. And then you'll come to the petition that begins your concerns. And it says, give us this day our daily bread. Well, that word daily bread, for the longest time, they didn't know what that word meant. It wasn't found in Greek manuscripts, but they discovered it on the shopping list of a woman in, in, in those days. And they said it simply was a grocery list. 
we could come to God with our daily concerns. No concern is too small or too big to bring to the throne of grace. So we say, Lord, I bring my concerns now to you. Give us this day our daily bread. And Lord, most of all, may I have the bread of life. Because I know that man does not live by earthly bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And so as we come before God, we ask him, Lord, here are my needs. And then we pray for forgiveness, our physical needs, our spiritual needs. And this is a prayer that we pray daily, because daily we fall short of the glory of God. Daily we recognize our need for forgiveness. Daily we come and say, oh Lord, forgive us our debts. And then we look at our brothers and sisters and we pray as we forgive our debtors. Lord, I can't hold anything against anybody because God, I want mercy on that day of judgment. And so Lord, as I have forgiven others, as I have erased the record, As I, O God, have forgotten the things that were done to me and just put it under the blood, so, O Lord, forgive my sins in that way. And then you say, Lord, lead us not a temptation. As you're closing the prayer, as you're coming out of the prayer, you recognize that you live in a dangerous world. You're in a war zone. You're in a battle. And you're saying, Lord, deliver me from temptation. Lord, deliver me from the evil one. Because you know Satan's power is great. It's armed with cruel hate. And so you're saying, Lord, be my strong deliverer. Lord, rescue me. Now, the doxology. In earliest Greek manuscripts, And the Gospel of St. Matthew, it doesn't contain a doxology. It ends with deliver us from evil or the evil one. That's why the Revised Standard Version, that's why the New International Version, that's why the New Living Translation, other translations, don't include the doxology. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In the Didache, which was around the end of the first century, the beginning of the second century. It was an instruction to believers. It had the doxology there, but not fully. It didn't mention the kingdom. It mentioned, thine is the power and the glory forever. Amen. In the King James, it was worked off of different newer manuscripts, and I chose to go with the doxology Not because I believe necessarily it was on the lips of Jesus. Because we don't have it in the best manuscripts. But I believe it's in harmony with the teaching of Scripture. And oftentimes Jewish prayer, most often Jewish prayer, ended with praise. And I think this is a fitting conclusion to the Lord's prayer. It reminds me of the words of David. In Chronicles 29.11, when he says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, and the majesty, and the splendor. For everything in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Kent Hughes says, This doxology is a model of the heart's response 
of one who truly enters the Lord's Prayer. It is a song of the heart that prays according to the Lord's pattern of prayer. Now, what is a doxology? Holman Bible Dictionary said, doxology is a brief formula for expressing praise or glory to God. Doxologies generally contain two elements, an description of praise to God and expression of his infinite nature. This doxology points to the greatness of who he is, and it is a resounding praise that you and I are to conclude our prayer with. It's fitting that we end this prayer with a time of worship in the presence of the king. Three points this morning. The kingdom is God's. The power is God's. And the glory is God's. The kingdom is God's. For thine is the kingdom. When we say thine is the kingdom, we're saying it's all yours, God. The kingdoms of this world belong to you. Thine is the kingdom. So as we look at that text, we're saying, Lord, you have the right to rule and to reign. It belongs to you, God, and to no one else. In Revelation 19.6, it says this, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. See, He is the sovereign King. A kingdom implies a king. And we know King Jesus reigns. He is sovereign. When we say he is sovereign, we say all power is his. At the height of David's power, when the offerings were coming in to build the temple, David prayed the prayer that we read in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. When all the gold and the silver and the bronze and the precious jewels were being brought before the king. I'll read those words again to you. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are a ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, at the sight of all this wealth and riches, someone's heart could have been lifted up in pride, but not David's. He recognized it was all from God's wonderful hand. When you look at all that you possess, do you say, That's my house, that's my car, that's my money, that's my family, that's my life. Not if you say Jesus is Lord of all. Not if he reigns as sovereign. You can't say, that's mine. You say, Lord, it's yours. You own everything. You reign in my life. I like the words. I say, Lord of every thought and action, 
Lord to send, Lord to stay. Lord in speaking, writing, giving. Lord in all things to obey. Lord of all there is of me, now and evermore to be. Is he Lord just in theory? Or is he Lord in practice? When we say, thine is the kingdom, we're saying, God, it's all yours. When we pray the Lord's Prayer and we conclude with that doxology, for thine is the kingdom, we're saying, oh, Lord, everything I have, everything I am, I lay at your feet. It is yours. Now, he is the everlasting king, the everlasting reign of the king, the sovereign reign of the king, the everlasting reign of the king. In Psalm 145, verse 13, it reads, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Dr. Luke, when he was writing the gospel of St. Luke in the second chapter, first verse, makes a comment But I believe he's drawing a contrast for us when he said, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man in the world at that time. He could sign a document and it can change history. His word could determine people's lives. And so he says... Everyone is to go back and be taxed. And it sets in motion the wheels of history. And it reaches all the way from Rome to Jerusalem. And there Mary and Joseph leave from Nazareth to go to Bethlehem. And there a child is born. Now Caesar Augustus ruled the then known world. He was concerned about his glory. (laughs) while earth bowed down to Caesar Augustus, heaven soar the true king. And the angels sang. In Luke chapter 2, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared, uh, the angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men whom his favor rest. What a contrast. Caesar, Christ. Christ in a simple manger. Caesar on the throne of Rome. But heaven says, the real kingdom, the real scepter is in the hand of that child, Jesus. Caesar brought peace at a price. Jesus also brought peace at a price. He laid down his life. And in a world filled with turmoil, people find an incredible peace that passes all understanding when the king of peace reigns in their hearts. In my short lifespan, I've seen ten presidents. They've come and they've gone. You who are older, In your 70s, you remember the fury of Hitler. You remember how world leaders shook the world. But where are they now? 
You remember the song, the chorus that says, Jesus, Jesus, there's just something about that name. Kings and kingdoms will pass away, but there's something about that name. Where is Caesar? Where is Napoleon? Where is Alexander the Great in the video store? (laughs) I didn't mean to say it that way. (laughs) But in the video store, you'll see a video, and it's titled, When We Were Kings, and spoke of ex-boxers. When we were kings, there has been. But so is every other king. So is every other power. There is only one who is everlasting, who lasts from one generation to another generation to another generation to another generation. He is the king eternal, and he reigns forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Daniel, the prophet, said, Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he alone has wisdom and power. He determines the course of world events. He removes kings and sets others on the throne. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. See, all of the power is his as well. The kingdoms belong to him. He reigns. He rules. He conquers the hearts of men, not with a sword, but with his love and by his precious blood, by his sacrifice. Thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. The power is God's. In Psalm 62, 11, it says this, Power belongeth unto the Lord. Every king has power, But every king wants more power. Every earthly king would like to have more power. They're limited in their monarchies. Their economics are limited by natural resources. Their armies are limited by the strength of their military personnel. Their policies are limited by the wisdom of their counselors. I like what Revelation says, hallelujah. For the Lord God Almighty, all might, all power is His. See, God controls the atoms, the protons, the neutrons, the electrons, space, and matter. The hymn writer said, I'll sing the almighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad, and built the lofty skies. It's his power. There's, first of all, the power of renunciation. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. Jesus lived his prayers perfectly. This prayer cannot be prayed by a selfish heart because it begins and ends, in a sense, our Father. You can't bring yourself by yourself to the throne of grace. It's collectively taking the body of Christ with you to the throne room of God. It's praying for one another. It's a prayer that demands self-renunciation. And Jesus 
said, I must be about my father's business. We can't live the Christian life in our own power, in our own energy, in our own strength. We can't say no to the charm of the world. But like Moses, when we see the one who is high and lifted up and exalted, we could turn our backs on Egypt and we could choose to rather suffer with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a passing moment. See, there's power to renounce the attraction of this world because there is a greater attraction in our hearts. It's the attraction of the cross of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Hallelujah. It's a call that says, I'm ready to lay down my life. There's the power of renunciation, the power of redemption. In Ephesians 3.20 it reads, Now glory be to God by His mighty power at work within us. He is able to accomplish infinitely more than we could ever dare to ask or hope. See, we believe he has the power. He has the power. We say, hallowed be thy name. We believe he has the power to do that. Thy kingdom come. We believe he has the power to bring his kingdom about. We say, thy will be done. We believe he has the power to do that. When we present our needs, we believe he's able to give us bread. He is able to forgive us. He is able to deliver us from the evil one. We recognize that our Savior has the power, the power to redeem us from all sin. We sing, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb of God. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There is power in the blood. Would you be whiter, much whiter than snow? There is power in the blood. Would you do service for Jesus, your King? There is power in the blood. So there's power to redeem us, power to resurrect us. Romans eight eleven says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. I like this quote. Let me read it to you by N.T. Wright. Why did Christianity rise? And why did it take the shape it did? The early Christians themselves reply, we exist because of Jesus' resurrection. That was the reason for the church. Had there not been a resurrection, there would not be a church. It's not just the fact of the empty tomb, the fact that they couldn't find a body. It's the fact that they met a resurrected Lord, and that resurrected Lord is still living. He's alive forevermore. And so, beloved, there's the power of the resurrection. (laughs) Hallelujah. There's that power that when we face death. We know that death, even though it reaches out with its hands and pulls men to the grave, it cannot hold us there. It cannot keep us there. It cannot imprison us there because he had victory over death. Hallelujah. Praying is one of the most intimate parts of our Christian life. 
It's the single most important way we communicate with God. Over the centuries, there have been many wonderful prayers written by saints of God, and probably the most notable is the Lord's Prayer that Jesus prayed in Luke chapter 11. Pastor Ed will be teaching through this prayer in a nine-part series entitled The Lord's Prayer. In each broadcast of Voice of Faith, Pastor Ed will break down each of the components of this prayer, helping us to understand the significance of each part. We'll learn what it means to forgive others as we've been forgiven and why it's important to ask the Lord to deliver us from the snares of Satan. Now, we'd like to invite you to join us at Faith Assembly for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. For driving directions and more information, log on to voiceoffaithradio.com and follow the link to Faith Assembly. Or feel free to give us a call at 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Voice of Faith with Dr. Edward Jones. Please join us next time as Pastor Ed continues teaching through this series entitled The Lord's Prayer, right here on Voice of Faith.